Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello, greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I'm a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting and trading and scouting and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So to you, so let's talk some Dynasty on episode 164. We're going to kind of review week number 12 in the NFL. The NFL's week 12 was kind of a stinker, actually. Uh, There were a lot of blowouts, a lot of low-scoring games, and the close games were mainly the low-scoring ones. And among teams who weren't really going anywhere, so it just wasn't very exciting. I think apart from the Buccaneer and Colts game on Sunday, uh, the, the Sunday noon games, my time, uh, the Thursday afternoon and the Sunday afternoon games were the most exciting. Hopefully your fantasy games were more enjoyable uh, than your for on this big uh, Thanksgiving weekend and you enjoyed the games. It's not a very uh, exciting fantasy week for me. My team's finished 6-4. and four. I uh, lost, but I lost in the leagues where I really needed a win to stay in contention for bye weeks. And so it currently looks like I'm only going to get one bye week in one league. Now I still have two more weeks to fight for it, but I no longer control my own destiny, which really stinks. Uh, I have to pause on weeks like this. Like I say every week, I have to pause and remind myself that win or lose, it is a joy to watch fantasy football, watch football all weekend, and cheer on my dynasty teams. So after following all the games this week, uh, here are a few of my thoughts on players and situations and the impact that it has on our Dynasty teams. Observations, 10 observations from week number 12. Uh, first one I would say would be missing stars. Dallas Prescott, uh, Dak Prescott for Dallas rather I should say, he did slug his way to a great fantasy day on Thanksgiving despite missing two star wideouts with Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb missing. Uh, The Raiders' defense had actually been really horrible against the run all season, but the Cowboys just couldn't get anything going on the ground. Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard combined for 61 yards on 19 carries. Uh, Dak just had to carry the team uh, to a comeback game-tying drive only to lose the game in overtime. To use the Move the Sticks podcast terminology, Dak uh, bounced back from his worst game of the season and proved that he's a truck rather than a trailer, meaning he can carry a team on his back even without his two star weapons while they were sitting on the bench. Uh, Dak was average, uh, averaging the 10th most points per game heading into this week, and he's still on pace to continue to be a top 10 quarterback. Uh, he's only had two bad games in this season, but has scored more than 20 points on the other nine games that he's played, and he's had 28 points or more four different times. So I love Dak. Uh, he's able to carry the team even without his star players. Uh, Dak is my sixth-ranked dynasty quarterback and a player that I was able to trade for this week, uh, which you'll hear about later. Next observation is that uh, Buffalo, I'll call it Buffalo Salad (laughs) instead of Buffalo Wings, Buffalo Salad. Uh, Buffalo smashed a very, very depleted Saints team on Thursday night, on Thanksgiving night, and they bounced back like the Cowboys did from a very awful uh, beatdown that they took last week from the Colts. Josh Allen continues to spread the ball around more than he did last year, and Stephon Diggs isn't a league winner like he was last year, but he's among the most consistent fantasy scoring wide receivers in the league right now, just very consistent. He's finally scoring touchdowns too, as Allen has really narrowed his red zone targets uh, to really just two players, Diggs and then Dawson Knox. Did a look into this this week, and uh, Diggs has caught six red zone touchdowns over the last six weeks. Amazing. And this season, Knox has caught uh, four red zone touchdowns and three deep ball touchdowns of 52, 24, and 25 yards. 
Uh, the Bills are really scheming up looks for them in the red zone, which is fantastic, you know, for their dynasty managers. But it's not for those that own, you know, have the Bills running backs on their rosters. Uh, Zach Moss was a healthy scratch this week while Matt Breida and Devin Singletary split the backfield. But get this in the red zone. Uh, Moss has only had three red zone touchdowns, but they were in a week from weeks one to four. He's only had one since. Devin Singletary has only had one red zone touchdown, as has Matt Breida. So they've each just had one, Singletary and Breida. And then Josh Allen has three red zone touchdown rushing touchdowns for the Bills. So really, there's only three players worth starting in dynasty lineups, and particularly in the red zone among the Bills. That's Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, and Dawson Knox. They're getting all the red zone looks and almost all the red zone touchdowns. Next thing I'll say is uh, Philadelphia frustrations. Jalen Hurts finally had a bad uh, fantasy game, as did the rest of the Eagles players. Uh, Every time that I decide that I'm going to trust Miles Sanders again, that he finally had a chance this week to break out, he doesn't. And he spoiled several of my, my teams that I lost this week, that's for sure. With Jordan Howard injured and Eagles running backs, you know, the way that they were running the ball more than any team in the league, I thought that this would finally be his week to shine, that he would just split the load, just he and Boston Scott. But instead, he was outscored and outplayed by Boston Scott. Uh, he scored the Eagles' lone touchdown on Sunday, one touchdown for this team on Sunday against the crazy Giants that are no good. Sanders the player, uh, that's the play, is the player with the most touches in a season without a scoring touchdown. He's touched the ball 108 times, yet he doesn't have a touchdown. Uh, I talked about last week how I've given up on Jalen Rager. He reinforced my thoughts this week by dropping two game-winning touchdowns on the last possession of the game. What's worse this week is the only fantasy-reliable pass catchers in Philadelphia so far this season, Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. They combined for just three points. Smith had three, and Goddard had a goose egg. Many of my rosters scored nothing for me. Buffalo and Dallas got their you know bad weeks out of their system two weeks ago. Uh, Philadelphia, I guess it's their turn to do so this week. I mean, I do think that Hertz and Smith and Goddard are still very reliable starters, and they're going to help the dynasty managers. They head to the playoff push here now, uh, but they all cer- certainly busted this week. Uh, as for the running backs in Philadelphia, I've learned my lesson, and I'm going to keep them out of my lineups going forward, except for the very worst situations. The sad news is, for me, in a couple leagues because of injuries, I am in the worst situations, and I might still be forced to to start a Philadelphia running back, which is killing me. Fourth observation is I'll call it four net. <laughs> you see what I did there? It was too, too low-hanging fruit. Four net uh, showed that Jonathan Taylor, while he was playing against him, that he's not the only one who could have a crazy game-winning fantasy game for managers since he scored four touchdowns this last week. Uh, Taylor scored 51 fantasy points last week. Fournette came close this week by scoring 40 of his own. Unfortunately, his day came at the expense of the Tampa Bay passing game. Uh, Tom Brady had his worst fantasy game of the season, and everyone not named Rob Gronkowski suffered for it. I have a hard time believing that this is a conscious choice for the Buccaneers. Like some would suggest that maybe it's an attempt to spare Brady's arm or something like that to focus on the running game. Uh, But Brady has had his lowest passing attempts, 34 passing attempts in two of the last three games of the season. So uh, maybe it is something they're doing. As for Fournette, Oh man, all the dynasty managers who traded for him sometime after he was cut by the Jaguars and signed by Tampa Bay, man, how thrilled are they that he's resurrected his career? Uh, he's already had more fantasy points uh, this season than he did all of last season, and he's on pace to have the most fantasy points of his five-year career. Incredible. Uh, his contract does expire at the end of the season, which is going to make it really interesting. The Buccaneers are going to have to decide if he's going to stay with the team or not. 
his attitude problems that he had in Jacksonville it seems like they're um, doing you know gone away with here in Tampa. Based on the comments of players after the game on Sunday, uh, his teammates really love him. His dynasty value was in limbo, uh, will be in limbo until his next contract. But for now, Tampa Bay and dynasty managers that have him on their team are sure enjoying the ride this year. Fournette's looking awesome. Another running back's looking awesome is Joe Mixon. I'll call this one Mixon It Up. <laughs> Mixing It Up. Since the Bengals' uh, bye week, uh, they've concentrated on their run game, and Joe Mixon has given them very reason to continue to do so. Mixon had 30 uh, touches two weeks ago and 32 touches this last week, resulting in 24 and 30 fantasy points. Um, if it were not for um, a rushing touchdown on Sunday, Joe Burrow would have scored just 22 fantasy points over the last two weeks. 22 over the last two weeks if you take that rushing touchdown away. The Bengals jumped to early leads in both of their previous two games, so it's hard to know for sure if it came, you know, if they came out of their bye week with a philosophy change or if they just played the game, you know, kind of the game script as it was uh, the last two weeks. One thing's for sure, Joe Mixon looks awesome. Uh, he's third in the NFL in rushing yards, touchdowns, and attempts. Third. And that's really because Derrick Henry's still among the top, even though he's been out for several weeks, which is pretty crazy. Uh, that's what Mixon managers wanted to see him and the Bengals do for the last few years, and they're finally getting to see what happens when they just give him the ball that many times. At this rate, Mixon is sure to be part of uh, some championship rosters, I think. But the same might not be true for those relying on Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins, um, if indeed this is a philosophy change. I'm going to give it one more week before I decide if they just a kind of a game script thing here or if they're really just going to become more of a running team, which would be uh, sad for those that are trusting in their passing offense. Next thing I'll mention is Miami momentum. Uh, Miami is on a four-game winning streak, and their offense is finally clicking while their defense is actually stifling teams too. Uh, Tua is helping the Dolphins, uh, but he's really not helping uh, fantasy managers that much. He's had an incredible 82% and 87% completion rate the last two weeks and has a quarterback rating over 100 five of the past six weeks. Uh, Jalen Waddell has been the benefactor of Tua's efficient play and it had his best game of his rookie season uh, this last week, scoring 24 points. Uh, he's definitely the target hog on the team. He's averaging 8.5 targets per game. And in recent weeks, he's finally being targeted downfield just a little bit more. Miles Gaskin on, for the Dolphins, uh, he's had an up-and-down fantasy year for sure, but he's been way more consistent during this win streak. He scored four times in this four-game winning streak. He's averaged 21 touches per game during that time also. Gaskin and Waddle are on the rise in Miami's, you know, as Miami's offense continues to improve. And during the same stretch, however, it's Mike Gusecki's target share in fantasy performance has actually declined. Uh, he's still getting a good amount of targets uh, compared to other fantasy viable tight ends, so you got to keep starting him. But he's really been a disappointment over this four-game winning streak, while Gaskin and Waddle have uh, really shown themselves to be viable and great starters. Two is just kind of helping his team, but he's not necessarily helping uh, dynasty managers. Next, I'll uh, just point out again what I'll call the new hybrids. They're doing it again, man. This week was just so crazy. Debo Samuel and Cordero Patterson, they're breaking fantasy football, and it's incredible. Uh, Patterson and Samuel are the hybrid running backs and wide receivers. Uh, they're the real, I call them like the real NFL version of the fantasy flex position. Uh, Patterson had the first 100-yard rushing day for the Falcons since last season. Uh, and as a wide receiver, Samuel had a rushing touch, touch, touchdown for the third game in a row, tying an NFL record. Uh, Samuel has produced fantasy points the last two weeks with only one reception, 
because he's running the ball, scoring touchdowns as a running back. And then we've got Patterson. Uh, man, they're just tearing it up. Uh, Samuel and Patterson are among the top players whose dynasty value has increased this year. And at the beginning of the season, Patterson was on the waiver wire in most of our leagues. And Samuel was thought to be too injury-prone to surpass Brandon Ayuk um, in San Francisco. But now they're both top 10 running backs and top 10 receivers in fantasy this season. It's incredible. Let's hope that Debo's groin injury is only minor. I did see that it came out late last night that he is going to miss a couple weeks because of it. So that stinks to see that happen. He's one of my most rostered players. And so my teams are really going to suffer while Debo is out. Next thing I'll mention, speaking of most rostered players, I'll call it the Herbert uh, roller coaster. Justin Herbert is my most rostered quarterback. And I've experienced the roller coaster this season as a result. It's hilarious. In one league, I have Matt Stafford and Justin Herbert. And my co-manager and I in that league, we've guessed wrong on which quarterback to start every single week this season, except one. We keep getting it wrong, and we did again this week. It's hard to believe that it's true, uh, but that's what we've done. Um, I did. Uh, he didn't have a bad week totally this week. He did score 23 fantasy points, but he's had so many game-winning weeks that it's frustrating when you don't get them. I, I suppose it's not fair to expect him to score you know, 30 points a week like he has four times this season, but I've kind of grown to expect it in the back of my mind. Um, and then um, the offense, his wide receiver two, on the other hand, is stuck on the downside of a roller coaster. Mike Williams has scored 100 points over the first five weeks of the season. He scored 43 in the six games since. That's crazy. 100 points over the first five weeks. 43 games in the last six games. 43 points in the last six games. At this point, it's very fair to call this a trend. And Williams is a player that managers have to consider benching, even not even starting on their teams. Uh, he's lost all of his trade value, so it would be unwise to try to trade him now. Uh, managers bold enough to have traded him uh, you know, high during the early part of the season. They're pleased with their decision now if they were gutsy enough to do so. At the start of the season, I looked really stupid for suggesting that I thought that Williams uh, last season, that this would be Williams' last season in Los Angeles because Josh Palmer would pass him up in the lineup by the end of the season. While my, while my uh, Palmer take has not really come to pass, my evaluation of Williams and his future with the team looks to be a little bit more correct uh, than it has you know, right now than it has at any other time of the season. I could still be right on this in the end. Next, I'll call it uh, Mr. Efficient. All he does is catch touchdowns. That used to be uh, the claim of Chris Carter from the Vikings decades ago. Uh, well, now there's another Viking that's making the same claim, Adam Thielen. Caught two more touchdowns on Sunday. Now he's tied with Cooper Cup and Mike Evans with 10 touchdowns, the most touchdowns of any wide receiver. Uh, Thielen, again, is a top 10 fantasy receiver as a result, based mainly on the fact that he scores so many touchdowns. Uh, he caught a touchdown um, in one out of every six receptions that he's made this season. Every six catches, he's catching one of those catches as a touchdown. Uh, man, all but one of his 10 touchdowns have been in the red zone, too. It's just something about that he and Cousins have a mind melt. And the Vikings draw up plays specifically for Thielen because he's so proficient at catching touchdown passes. Uh, both of his two touchdown grabs on Sunday were awesome catches, too. One was a perfect throw that required Thielen to high point the ball and toe tap in the back of the end zone. Uh, the other was a bad throw by Cousins, where Thielen had to reach back across his body and make a superb catch. Uh, the Vikings have played in 11 games, and Thielen's caught 10 touchdowns. It's just what he does uh, from a fantasy perspective. He is definitely an aging wide receiver who's no longer the wide receiver one on his own team. But as long as he can keep scoring touchdowns, he's a valuable asset on contending teams. 
He's one of he's on three of my rosters, keeping me in the playoff race in each of those teams. Next, I'll call a fantasy disaster. Uh, this week, the Sunday night game was a fantasy disaster, uh, leaving dynasty managers disappointed to end their Sunday. Um, if you trusted in Jarvis Landry after his few bad performances, well, good for you. He saved your day with yardage. Mark Andrews' touchdown at the at the end of the game there, you know, made his fantasy night salvageable. But other than that, every player that Dynasty managers started in hopes of a comeback win on Sunday night, uh, severely disappointed. Uh, Lamar Jackson's four interceptions contributed to the worst fantasy week of his season. And as the quarterback goes, so goes the rest of the team. Uh, Devonta Freeman, who uh, in recent weeks really controlled the backfield, they went back to nearly 50-50 split with Latavius Murray, and neither of them played very well. And then Nick Chubb had his worst game of the season, too, with his 16 yards rushing. Uh, Kareem Hunt was active again, uh, but he fared no better with just 20 yards rushing. Baker Mayfield, I think he's a real problem for the Browns. Some dynasty managers relying on the Browns players to help their teams. I think he's going to be a problem. As much as I love Chubb as a player, I'm concerned that the Browns' offense is going to continue to disappoint as the season draws to an end. That really stinks because Chubb is one of the players that I'm relying on in some of my playoff runs, but I'm concerned that Brown's offense can't uh, keep him as relevant. As for the Ravens, obviously Lamar Jackson's going to be fine uh, for fantasy teams, but every other player on their team not named Mark Andrews really is a risky player to start week to week. Um, I feel bad for all the dynasty managers who need fantasy point, needed fantasy points on Sunday night to maybe steal a win, um, including myself, that I got burned by this disaster of a game as well. Tenth point here I'll make is, a, I'll call it fantasy interference. My last observation is really less about fantasy and more about the NFL, as I'm prone to do on my last observation here. I think it's become tiring uh, for me to see teams run plays uh, to get a pass interference call. Um, as my family could attest, on Thursday night, right after Micah Parsons uh, sacked Derek Carr to put, you know, pushing them out of field goal range, I said to my family, uh, don't get too excited. Carr's just going to throw the ball deep and hope for a pass interference. And he did. That's exactly what happened. And he got the subjective call that led to their game-winning field goal. I'm not a disgruntled Cowboy fan or a bitter corner, you know, former cornerback. <laughs> but I am a disgruntled NFL fan because I'm convinced that teams are running these plays just to get past interference calls. It's not that hard to do either. If a quarterback sees, you know, man-to-man coverage and get the defense, you know, defensive back to turn his back and start chasing, he can intentionally underthrow a pass and likely get a pass interference call. It's infuriating. I've always favored the college pass interference rule that marks off 15 yards rather than spotting the ball where the pass interference occurred. Uh, the NFL rule was created to keep defensive backs uh, who knew that they were burned you know, from, deep, from intentionally interfering with the receiver. But it was a good rule at the time, but now the exact opposite is happening. Now it's the receivers that are drawing the interference play deliberately. And I just think that needs to stop. Okay, my rant is over on that one. Let's talk a little waiver wire. Um, this is where I try to help you get ahead of your league mates. You know, think of some players that you might grab off the waiver wire uh, today or tomorrow whenever your uh, waiver wire runs. As a reminder, I do play in 27 to 30-man rosters, so the players that I list here are for deep leagues only. If you play in shallower leagues, there's certainly much better players out there, but if you're in a true dynasty league like I'm talking about, uh, these are the players that I would recommend. And strangely, this late in the season, week number 12, there's actually a couple guys that I'm very interested in adding this week from an actual dynasty perspective, not just this season. First one is Josh Reynolds. Uh, this week, Reynolds uh, was the second on the team in snaps after leading the team in snaps the week before, uh, after he was claimed by the Lions off waivers uh, two weeks ago. 
this week he got a deep touchdown pass on Sunday and impact or on Thursday, rather, and impacted the team for the first time. I've always believed in Reynolds and actually had him on the back of my rosters, many of my rosters, and I only cut him this year after I, he just couldn't earn a role in Tennessee offense, even when Julio Jones was injured. Um, I just was like, okay, I guess his his career is over. Um, I could very well, he could very well be the best receiver now uh, that he's on Detroit because they don't have a really good outside wide receiver. I still believe in Amon Ross St. Brown long-term in the slot, but uh, Reynolds really could become the best outside wide receiver they have. Uh, he's the first guy I'd attempt to add in leagues this week if I didn't add him already like I did a few times after Detroit signed him. <clears throat> Next would be Brevin Jordan. Uh, Brevin Jordan was very active in the Texans lineup this week, and he scored another touchdown. He scored a touchdown in two of the four games that he's played this season, and he's looked to be you know, one of the type of players that the Texans could build you know, their team around during this rebuilding process. Uh, he was the consensus third best uh, rookie tight end in the class this last year behind Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth. Uh, he did, you know, did not get to play early in the season like they did. He didn't get to play until week eight of the season, so his breakout, you know, is coming later. Uh, but his breakout is coming, kind of like Pitts and Fryermuth have this season. Uh, he's a perfect guy to add to your back of the roster right now, and just wait to see what happens at the end of this year and really hold for next year. Next player would be Jack Doyle. Uh, the last three weeks, Doyle has significantly outsnapped and out-targeted Mo Ali Cox and Kylan Grant, uh, Granson. Uh, he's the best tight end roster on the Colts, that's for sure. Uh, their opponent on Sunday, the Buccaneers, has had one of the worst defenses in the league against tight ends. So I think his 17-point fantasy day should be tempered with a little bit of caution and wisdom. Um, I'd prefer Brevin Jordan uh, for sure over Doyle because uh, he's a real true dynasty asset given his age. But I'd consider adding Doyle in some leagues this week uh, since the tight end situation in Indianapolis really seems to be clearing up uh, Doyle is the primary tight end target there now, finally. And last player I think I maybe pick up this week is Juwan Jennings uh, for the 49ers. Over the last three weeks, Jennings has seen about 50% of the snaps. Uh, he's definitely creating a role with the 49ers. He caught a touchdown pass on Sunday and had a second touchdown pass overruled by instant replay where his foot was barely you know, out of, out of bounds. I think the opportunities in San Francisco are limited, that's for sure. George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brennan Ayuk, they're rightly going to get most of the looks, so I'd only consider adding Jennings in the deepest of leagues. And now that we know that Debo is missing time with his injury uh, that he sustained on Sunday, Jennings could actually get a little bit more opportunity to prove something uh, during these next few weeks. And finally, uh, here on the podcast, we'll talk about Week 12 trades. Like I always say every week, trades are pretty hard to grade in a vacuum if you just see them on Twitter or see them written out somewhere. So I like to actually talk about trades that actually took place in my leagues so that you can get an idea you know, what the actual managers were thinking when they made these trades. So I try to get in their heads and talk about what happened. Well, I can do that pretty easily this week because there were three trades in my leagues this week and two of them were mine. <laughs> so I can tell you exactly what was going on in my head. This first one was a big one. Uh, Travis Kelsey, Tom Brady, and Cordero Patterson and a 2022 third round pick for Pat Pryormuth, Dak Prescott, and a 2021 first round pick. So Kelsey, Brady, Patterson and a third-round pick for Fryermuth, Prescott, and a first-round pick. This was me. I traded away Kelsey, finally, in a league after facing the fact that my team is old and needs to go into rebuild mode. I put Kelsey, Patterson, and Brady on the trading block, and I received several offers from teams, but I rejected all of them. Um, I countered one trade with this offer that I made, and the other manager let it sit for several days before accepting it. Um, 
I bought back my goal here was just to buy, buy back a bunch of years. I bought back a bunch of years at quarterback by trading Brady for Dak. And I really see, like I already said in this podcast, that I see Dak as a top 12 quarterback for many years to come. Uh, my only other quarterback in this league is Matt Ryan, who's also old. So like I said, my team's old, and I was trying to buy back years at the quarterback position. And I'm happy now that I have Dak on my team. And I also bought back years at tight end, too, by getting Fryermuth who's already moved into my uh, number 12 uh, ranked dynasty uh, tight end, so he's already number 12 for me. Uh, he'll, he'll never be as good, you know, as Kelsey was on my team, that's for sure. But he can improve on his, if he can improve on his excellent rookie season, um, he really could become one of those top startable tight ends for the, for the years to come, so I bought back some years with him. As for Patterson, um, I'm not convinced that he can continue his incredible season, but I certainly could be wrong. Um, I believe that this will be the best year of his career, and I was just willing to deal him and treat him as, as kind of a one-year wonder this year and get back you know, a first-round pick in the package deal. I gave up, you know, gave the competing team three every-week starters for, to help him this season. Uh, now I just have to root, that he get, root for him to get unlucky, and that way I'll have a better first-round pick. My two first-round picks will be the start of trying to rebuild that team. At least I got younger at quarterback and tight end, even though I gave up a lot. Uh, next one is another trade that I made, uh, Devonta Freeman, uh, for 2022 second-round pick. Uh, in my biggest money league, uh, I made this trade for Freeman, where I'm in fourth place, and I just needed a little help in my final push toward the playoffs. It's a 14-team league, uh, so the rosters are pretty thin. So Freeman's actually going to be a starter for me the rest of the season. Um, I'm just hoping his 10 to 15 points per game, given the scoring of this league, is enough to help me compete for the championship. Um, even if I lose in the first round of the playoffs, it's a 14-team like a team like I said, 14-team um, league. If I lose in the first round of the playoffs, that would be pick number 23. And if I make the playoffs in advance, this pick's going to be somewhere between pick number 23 and 28. So I was just willing to take the risk just to increase my chances of finishing in the money uh, this year. Sure didn't help me this week with, you know, that stinker of a game on Sunday night. Final uh, last trade was uh, Big One 2, A.J. Dillon, Naheem Hines, uh, and a 2023 first-round pick. It was traded for J.K. Dobbins, LaVisca Chenault, and a 2023 second-round pick. So we're talking two years in advance here. Again, that's Dillon, Hines, and a first-round pick. Uh, in 2023 for Dobbins, Chenault, and a 2023 second-round pick. Uh, this big deal was made between the highest-scoring team in the league and the lowest-scoring team in the league. Uh, the bad team is is in rebuild mode for sure, and he's been acquiring a lot of draft picks. Um, and he decided to give away um, you know, one of his future first-round draft picks for J.K. Dobbins, since he, too, was drafted in the you know first round of rookie drafts two years ago. I think Dobbins is going to have plenty of time to heal from his ACL surgery by the start of next season, and I think he will lead uh, you know, the Ravens' backfield in the future. So I still do believe that he's worth a, a future first-round pick. So I really like that part of the trade, uh, but I don't like what he had to give up on the other side of the trade. Uh, I like Dylan and Hines more than Chenault in the future second-round pick, especially since his team, um, especially since the team who acquired Hines has Jonathan Taylor, so now he's got a little handcuff situation. Dylan already is worthy of a flex position starter, uh, even when Jones is even when Aaron Jones is healthy. While Chenault has really struggled to break out in his second season, like I thought he would, uh, being outplayed by the likes of Jamal Agnew this season before Agnew got injured this last week. After Chenault finished his rookie season with five great games, I traded a first round pick from him, you know, for my championship team that year. So pick, pick number ten in that ten team league, and I was really hopeful, but I've regretted that trade ever since. 
Uh, he's just never returned the, the level of play you know, that he ended his rookie season with, and now he's got a different coaching staff that complicates things as well. Time's definitely going to tell on these trades since we're talking about 2023 picks, but for right now I believe one team got the best player in Dobbins, while the other team got the better package deal. We shall see how it turns out for these guys. Well, hope that helps you uh, have some fun just reflecting on week number 12. Aim really just to have these podcasts uh, kind of feel the emotion and the pain of the week and the joys of the week as we uh, manage our dynasty teams nearing the playoffs right now. That's going to be a wrap for this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's at gmail.com. I'm much better on email than Twitter, and I do love to respond to every one of your emails. Just let me know how your teams are doing. I'd be honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast too. It does help me as the little independent podcaster to move up the ranks a little bit so that people can find me. Uh, Thanks for listening. I do appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there and get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.